in your handout, I, I like to just follow what I've written and maybe we can better ourselves by learning the scripture. Now let me just, before you read, let me just tell you, each morning when I wake up, I have my Bible in front of me and I have an, a journal or a notebook and I have my computer in front of me. And I'm reading my daily Bible. I'm taking notes. Sometimes I get real excited and start typing. Um, that helps me in my day. It, it helps me categorize my brain. Now scientifically, and as it pertains to the anatomy... Any addiction whatsoever, whether it be medications or drugs or alcohol or major OCD matters or addictions of food will hurt the nerve endings. They'll dislodge from the appropriate places. This is medical speaking. But there is something about the reorganization of the brain the Bible says we are washed by the water of the word. If you have trouble sleeping, I'm not telling you not to take melatonin. But read the Bible. Listen, several chapters in the book of Numbers put me to sleep no matter what time of the day it is. So, if you... Sorry. Sorry, Lord. Uh... There is something to be said about the reorganization of your mind. Paul said, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How can you be renewed in the spirit of your mind? I will tell you how not to be renewed or how you can't. I'll tell you how your, your mind can be messed up. Let me just tell you, this is not on your handout. Watch as much news as you possibly can. You'll get messed up. By the end of the day, you'll be angry and you won't know why. Read all the junk that's out there, you'll be angry. Watch all the movies and listen to the radio station all day long and your brain will be disoriented. Talk to people who don't know the love of the Lord or talk to bitter people and your brain will be messed up. That's right. This is, this is the fact of life. It's been proven. So the reorientation of your mind is critical to your spirit. If your mind is not reoriented, then your spirit will be corrupted. So that's why I would submit to you that the study of the word, regardless of what subject it may be, is a reconstitution of the very things that bring peace to your life. Now I know that some folks may not consider this rocket science, maybe elementary, but, but we've gone so far away from thinking on these things, whatever is good, faithful, good report, lovely, pure, that we dwell on other things that don't pertain to the health of our life and the health of your mind is directly related to the intake of the scripture. So, we may not cover all of the subject of eschatology or prophecy here, but... Because we don't have that much time. 
and also because I'm hyper and I have to move on to something else too. You know, I can't lie when I'm up here. I'm afraid I'll get struck down. I just got to tell you the truth. So, but we do have a few weeks left, not many. We have a few weeks left to discuss the matter. When I study this, there is a plethora of information. Some of it is false. Much of it is um, hypothesis. So I'm not going to make up times and seasons when the Lord is going to return. Um, but I can tell you, uh, I won't make up the day rather, but I can tell you of the seasons that it, that it would pertain to. So I'm going to just, let's just kind of jump into our handout here. In respect to the age of misinformation and false teachings, it is appropriate for Christians to have a full understanding of the biblical record. Unfortunately, many rely upon personal feelings rather than uh, scripture in their Christian walk. This subjective thought is detrimental in that it uses human designs to determine God's commands and approval. So just so you know that your emotional response to the preaching neither validates or negates the word that you heard. But isn't it great to respond positively to the word? But don't think that, uh, that if the majority of people are clapping, that, um, that they validated something. God's word and his presence and all that he is has validated all by himself. He's God all by himself, everyone. He doesn't need my vote. Well, the politicians do. So Paul told Timothy to shun or profane two types, or maybe there's are forms of conversation. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. That workman will rightly divide the word of truth. But then he says, shun profane and vain babblings. Now these are... Ap- they're obviously two strands. They bifurcate. They are nonsense speak, uh, speech, but they do bifurcate. They will increase under more ungodliness. I'm just, I just want you to know this because a lot of prophetic thoughts or people who delve into prophecy can get way out there into things that are not even biblical. And some are hyperbole, some are hypothesis. So profane would be temporal or secular. We're not going to get into a temporal or secular babbling, nor vain, narcissistic, or self-centered babblings. Interestingly enough, these things happen during uh, conversation about the Scripture. I wrote, and and I'll read along with you, if the church is unaware or misled by false teaching, it will move away from the purpose and commission of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is coming back as a thief in the night, of course, we know he is. And we are to be prepared and ready for his return, then it is imperative that we know the difference between truth and falsehoods and, of course, pertaining to our prophetic studies. So let me just just give you two main philosophies in, in, uh, fallacies rather, in eschatology. And, of course, I'm not exhausting the fallacies. Of course. We wouldn't have enough, we don't have enough pages to print. But let me just give you two main fallacies. These are not exhaustive. So there's, there may be a hundred or maybe there's 50. 
The first one is purely allegorical, a fallacy allegorical. We're going to discover this, so don't, don't worry about the big words here. The second is preterism. So we're going to just talk about this and, and, and we're going to understand what these, these words are. Now, I, I recognize in this house, some of you are really new to the Lord. You're brand new to the Lord and you're learning, maybe you're learning some of the first steps. You're going to get this, just ride this train with me. Would you ride the train? Come on, get on the train. It's okay. You're good. I'm just assuming that you were riding so you couldn't raise your hand. So just smile at me real loud if you're going to ride the train. You're riding the train. Okay, I'll put my head down and I'll think everyone's in unison. This is in the allegory or allegorist. It's critical note to note this. That in, even in some religious circles, um, the flood, Noah's flood and, and Noah's ark. Uh, the animals, by kinds, come in in two and two. And, of course, they didn't just come by pairs. They also came, the clean animals came by sevens, pairs of sevens. And it was each kind. So, before we get into the breakdown of the animal kingdom and species, uh, kinds and types and categories, just know that these were kinds. So that there's, you didn't have to have all types of different dogs. You could just have, a wolf could, could have could have entered. And some of you are concerned already about the, the Doberman Pinchers and, and the Bijans. They probably didn't make it. But they came later. Okay, so let's... You see, what happens is that in the allegory, those people that are pure, purely allegorical in nature, they deem the scriptures differently. In fact, they would say that they are stories that, that are not real. They're not literal. So biblical accounts are deemed as, as an analogy or not literal. So there was no real ark. There was, no, there was never really a flood. And this is actually happening in Christian churches now. Jonah didn't really live in the belly of a whale. This is an allegory. It was like a, a kid's story to teach us a lesson. Um, of course, this is a fallacy or a falsehood. A fallacy is a lie. It's a falsehood. So there's people that pro propagate this idea. And the list of extensive is not just confined to the Old Testament, but there's, there's all kinds of, of uh, fallacies in this allegory. The conflict in thought is, is that some biblical writers are fig figurative even. Um, and they didn't, or some biblical characters are figurative. But also the other conflict that we find is that in some places in the Bible, it is figurative. So in other words, not all the images or sayings, likenesses, future events, uh, not all of them, uh, you know, I probably didn't fill in your blank, did I? Should, I? should I fill in the blank? Are we filling the blank? Could you just, the Bible is this this fallacy says that the Bible is regulated to principle-based teachings without adherence to actual laws or commands. So the whole Bible is a principle. This is what they think. The whole Bible is a principle. It's the principle of the flood, not an actual flood. It's the principle of, of the Jonah in the belly of the whale, not an actual. 
But we believe that there was an actual flood. We believe that there was a whale that consumed, swallowed up Jonah. Does everybody understand what I'm saying now? So there's, there's a small conflict in this in that some Bible writings are figurative. For example, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole, whole earth. Are the arm of the Lord. What, what does that mean? That's, that's, that's a big Scrabble word called anthropomorphism. And if you can spell it in Scrabble, you win automatically and the game's over. And that, that is basically thus just the attributions of, of, uh, attribution of a human character relating to God. So maybe a function of God. So in some parts of the Bible, the hand of God or the Lord is a strong tower. Well, not literally, um, but he functions in that way. Um, the Bible says in, in Job chapter 1 that the sons of men presented themselves before God. Well, in that, in that case, really that word, means, that, that, that word means that the angels of the Lord came to present themselves. So, strange and, and odd, often misleading concepts, apostasies, even comes out of misinterpretations of Scripture. So prophecy is the same way. And eschatology... Includes, I'm on your handout now, images, likenesses, and future events that could not be understood through the eyes and the ears of those giving the prophecy. So Daniel um, and, and John the Revelator couldn't, they really couldn't. Um, uh, Brother Beard needs a healing for his body. And he also needs something else in his life. I told him to come sit in the front row. So that's why he came at the front row. I'm glad you're on the front row. Okay, well, you have to fill in the blanks. They're on the screen. I don't even know if you can get a healing unless all your blanks are filled in. You've got to fill in the blanks. Okay. So this, you, 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 I just want you to understand this allegory, this, this, this idea that, that the Bible is, is just a book of stories. It's just principal concepts. That's not necessarily true. These are real things. And and in order to dilute the authority of the word of God, people are propagating this nonsense that these things did not happen. The crossing of the Red Sea. Can you imagine the crossing of the Red Sea? And for long periods of time, people would say, well, well really the Red Sea wasn't that deep. You know, it was only about three feet. So they could have all walked through. Either way, it makes a great story because, because the whole Egyptian army would have drowned in three foot of water. Go figure. The fact of the matter is, it was much, much deeper than three feet. But to dilute the scripture and, and prophecy, we're, we're finding two great fallacies. Um, this did not just begin either. This was not, we didn't just start this. It didn't happen in the 21st century or the 20th or the 19th. In fact, a man... I think he's around the third century here, Augustine. He promoted the idea that, and I, and I put his statement in quotes, so this would have been his statement. Good Christians should not commit the error of reading Bible prophecies literally, he said, but instead they should understand them as an allegory rather than plain depiction of what will actually happen when the world comes to an end. Now, so he also was into this 
allegorist theories. And there's five things that happen when people fall victim or prey to this thought. Number one, it leaves all scripture open to private interpretation. But Peter wrote that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So guess what, everyone? You don't get your own take on the Bible. You don't get to decide whether or not you need to repent. You don't get to decide whether or not you need to just come before God and just say, Lord, you know, I think, I think I'll believe in you and that's it. If the Bible says you need to repent, then you don't get to vote on that or elect it. In fact, if it's scripture, you must do it. It's not by any private interpretation. So we don't get to decide whether or not uh, uh, Noah built something or how he built it. Number two, if, if you fall victim to this, it removes understanding of the scripture and the intent of the writer. So there's intents here. Through faith, Hebrews says, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So the allegory people, they ruin the intent of the, of the writer. Number three, it lessens the need and urgency to be saved. So I don't want to spend too much time here. But there were thousands of sheep that were slaughtered. Thousands of sheep. Thousands of lambs and goats and doves slaughtered. For sins and for repentance. And the actions of the blood. The atonement that was given through the blood. The yearly atonement is not figurative, it was literal. There was literal blood spilled. Jesus did die on the cross. Number four, <clears throat> if you fall into this, it will change or it changes the deeds and wonders of God and the patriarchs. And of course, I could have put the matriarchs too and, and I've named just several of these things. You, you know that Enoch walked with God and was not. He didn't die. He just, he just walked with God and one day he was taken up or caught away. The idea that the prophet was caught up in a, in a chariot and his mantle fell back to the ground is not, is not figurative. That's a literal thing that happened. So when you remove the real story, you, what you've done is you change the deeds and wonders of God. Did Jesus ascend on the mount? Did he ascend on the Mount of Olives, did he, did he rise up? You see, if you remove that, then you also have to remove the idea that the Bible says he's going to come, when he comes back, he's going to put his foot on the same place that he left. He's coming back, he's going to put his foot down on that same mountain. So, what happens in the allegory is that we've removed uh, ourselves from the, the wonders of God. And finally, biblical authority is removed. There's a, there's a Bible authority that is removed. Uh, let's do number, number five a little bit because within that there's, there's more than just authority. But there's an absence. And the absence of biblical history and future events also are removed when everything becomes a children's story that's not real. And then other things, judgment, eternity, Heaven and hell are all in question. 
And when the Bible no longer becomes a literal word, the, the word of God, actual word of God, when Aaron's rod fails to bud, even though it's not connected, and Jesus walks through a wall and appears to his disciples and needs no door, then what happens is that, is that it leaves the door open for other theoretical presentations like Darwin's theory of evolution and the Big Bang theory. Because now the Bible becomes itself a theory. Are you still writing? The absence of biblical history and future events. Also judgment, eternity, heaven and hell. They're all in question. People will doubt this now. We're, we're going to talk about the three views of hell. We won't do it tonight. We're going to talk about the three views of hell. But let me just tell you right off the bat, there is a literal hell. There is a literal eternal damnation. And no, Hitler and Mussolini and your least liked politician, they're not the only people going to go. I'll name no names. It's all those who are not born again because Jesus said, don't marvel, you must be born again. He said you must be born again. That's the words of Jesus. You must be born again. In fact, just prior to that, he said you must be born again of the water and the spirit. You can't even see or enter the he heaven, the kingdom of heaven, without being born again of the water and the spirit. All right, are you ready to go to the next one? So this is, the first one is those people that are purely allegorical. And the second fallacy or flaw it's called preterism. And I knew that you've been hoping that, that I would talk about this all week. Preterism. Let's kind of give ourselves a little working definition because there's actually multiple strands of it. But I'm not going to deviate into those strands of partial or holistic. But let's just talk about the overall working definition of preterism. It's the belief that Matthew 24, this is a big chapter. If you ever read, if you want to just highlight Matthew 24 or just put a note, read this when you get home. Read the whole chapter of Matthew 24. And, and the Lord is speaking this, this word of the Mount of Olives. And, and this is the belief that these, this scripture and the book of Revelation um, were largely or completely fulfilled. All these prophecies were largely or completely fulfilled in the past. They've already happened. In fact, that most, maybe not all, they would believe happened around 70, around AD 70. So under Titus, these things have already happened. So prophecy is really not going to take place because a preterist thinks it's already taken place. So preterism is based on the Latin word preter, which means past. Now I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you in a moment why this is so critical for us. According to the preterist, big, big prophecy items like tribulation or the abomination of desolation or the coming of Jesus Christ, um, that these things are in the past. And of course, these preterists would believe that these things occurred, a lot of these things occurred in the turmoil and political upheaval that ensued when Jerusalem was destroyed. So, once again, this is not new. This was happening in the early church. Even the early church that you find in your Bible were struggling with these two subjects. And they were struggling with this subject also. And I'm reading from Second. 
Timothy chapter 2, verse 17. I think it's, it is in your handout. This is from the King James. Their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom Hamanaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred. They've, they've gone astray. They've left the truth, saying that the resurrection is past already. Can you imagine? They were, they were preterist. Paul was pointing them out to Timothy. And overthrow the faith of some, which means people stop looking for the prophetic to come to pass because those two men said everything has already taken place. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It was, it was Paul's admonition and instruction to Timothy to stay away from these men that they have erred and they're leading people away because they were teaching that prophecy had already taken place, that all these prophecies had already taken place. The resurrection already happened. And then Paul will address the matter again, not just to Timothy, but he's writing to the church in Thessalonica. And I, and I, and I copied this from the NIV. I thought it was a little bit easier read and it didn't change the meaning. But concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, this is in your handout, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Now remember, last week we talked about the day of the Lord, that great day of the Lord, or or the day of the Lord. So Paul is saying, some folks are telling you that it's already come. These are preterists. People who think that the prophecies have already come to pass. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. This is, of course, son of perdition. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that's called God or his worship. He sets himself up, this is the Antichrist, in the temple and proclaim himself as God. Now that is referring to the abomination of desolation. And, and we're not, we've dis- discussed that a little bit, but we're gonna, we'll get to that in a moment, maybe. So let's just talk about a few issues, the problems with the preterism. Number one, hope is gone. Hope for the future is removed. Behold, he cometh with the clouds. Every eye shall see him. Can you imagine You have nothing to look forward to. It's all happened. Hope is gone. Number two, it dilutes the immediate need for salvation. If all of that has taken place, then there's no call. Or or we don't even we wouldn't even subscribe to the scripture, I believe it's Acts 3 19, that we should bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Number three, Jerusalem, as I've been teaching you. It, it would cease under this idea that's already happened. It would cease to be the focal point. Jerusalem itself. Can you imagine? It, it would diminish the essence and the importance of the current statehood of Israel. Now just remember that two phenomenal things took place. In 1948, Israel became a nation and we found the Dead Sea Scrolls both in the same calendar year. This is very important because the Dead Sea Scrolls confirmed what we have read in the King James Bible. In fact, they found the entire book of Isaiah. If you've ever gone to um, uh, the the help me, Derek, the book of the uh, the book of the shrine, the shrine of the book, the shrine of the book. It's in it's in the downtown area of of Jerusalem. 
Um, I think the first time I was there many, many years ago, I saw it. It was behind a big glass. Now they've got, now they've got a, a copy, uh, a, a copy of the book of Isaiah. It's in a massive scroll. And when, when we, when we looked at the, the copy of the book of Isaiah, that of course was copied by scribes, it's, it's the same translation as what you would read in your Bible right now, in your King James Bible, the book of Isaiah. This was a confirmation that our Bible is intact. That God, can you imagine, preserved the scripture. Also in the same year, Israel became a nation which marked something. It marked the beginning of some powerful thing. And of course, we're learning about that. And I would just remind you, again, in this, sometimes you have to have this crease in your brain that we used to think that a, that a generation was 40 years, but we found out that a generation is not 40 years. Of course, if we read the scripture, we would know from Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, that, that really your lifespan, the Lord said he would give you 70 years or 80. And so, so in this house, we have people that are much, the Lord has given much more time than that. And that, that must mean that you've obeyed your parents in the Lord, all of our seniors. Because the Bible says if you obey your parents, the Lord, that you'll live a long life. So praise God. Mary fell. Must have obeyed her mom and dad. We're just, we're just a few. You know, I'm trying to figure out what kind of what we're going to get you for your birthday. 101 year old. I, I don't know. What can you get someone that's 101? What would you really want? I would think a motorcycle that I could drive you around on with a sidecar. Donations are being made right now, Sister Fell, in the foyer. You don't have to drive it, just sit in the car and just sit in the side. So... So if it was 40 years, that's why everyone was just, they were really feeling this. They, they thought, and that's why the book was written. And I told you about this book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Was Going to Come Back in 1988. Because they just added 40 years plus 1948 and they got 1988 and the Lord did not come back. And of course, the writer then adjusted one year later, but he adjusted twice, actually. That author adjusted twice. And finally, after he got to about 19, in the 1990s, he just quit altogether because I'm sure no one wanted to follow him. But Y2K happened. And everything was going to shut down and everyone bought canned beans and waters and generators. And I think you could probably find those somewhere. And it didn't take place. The computers didn't shut down. So we've kind of become desensitized, you see. Um, But you have to understand that there is something to look forward to. And we're really looking at that now. We're trying to figure out what times or seasons that the Lord is going to come back. But the preterist would say that these things have already happened. And so, don't be alarmed, he said, or unsettled. So hope, and, and, and there's salvation need in Jerusalem now. All of this has become diminished. Number four, biblical teachings are denounced. Because in the, in the actual purest of, a, of a, someone who believes that all of this has happened, baptism is no longer needed. Because the preterist would say that baptism is only an open display of your faith in God. The Bible doesn't say that. Baptism is not an open display. In fact, Peter wrote that just as Noah was saved by water, even baptism saves us. I always thought that Noah was saved by the ark. 
That's not what the Bible says. The ark is an image of the church. Noah was saved by water, even so baptism saves us. But the preterist would say, listen, prophecy is already taking place. You don't need to be baptized. And if you do get baptized, it's just to express your faith in God so that everyone knows how much you love him. But that's not what the Bible says. So a preterist tries to dilute the need for water baptism, even though Jesus said, you must be born again of the water and the spirit, even though Jesus himself was baptized and all the disciples were baptizing. And so this happened on the day of Pentecost. It happens in Acts chapter 8, chapter 10, chapter 19. And then Paul came along in the book of Romans and he said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How should we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, were buried into Christ, were baptized into Christ. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death. Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life, which means, which says, Romans chapter 6, that if you're going to rise up, you've got to be buried, and you're buried by water and baptism. So the preterist is trying to remove your desire to be baptized. Also, another teaching is the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper. You might call it, I don't know, it's communion. It's communion. It's the remembrance the scripture says, the Lord's death till he come. We're remembering the Lord's death till he come. You see, if Christ has already come, there's no need for communion. This, 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 provides a, a, this provides a dreadful thing for the church. Because we honor the Lord's body till we come. And when we honor the Lord's body, something happens in the church. In fact, Paul said, the dishonoring of it is the reason why many are sick among you. So when you remove communion or the Lord's Supper, this, this idea of, of remembering him, it comes from this, this false thought of prophecy is already done. And then finally, of course, I, there's more than this, but I just ended it for eldership. And I, I put eldership as a, as, a, as a broad umbrella. Uh, eldership or spiritual authority. You could name it many things, but... The shepherding idea. It's, it's 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5. It's the offices of the church would no longer be needed if the prophetic period had already been fulfilled. Of course, it results in this devaluation of, of the elders or spiritual authority. Even though the Bible says that the older women should teach the younger women. And, and, then, and then it promotes the plank. Now watch this, everybody. It promotes... When that's removed, it promotes the plank or the platform. You can write this in your margin for what we would call a deconstructionist to deconstruct the church. Well, how do you deconstruct the church? You deconstruct it by removing elders' authority. You deconstruct it by dumbing it down. I'm going to be a little bold here, and I don't, hope I don't offend anybody. But I am an equal opportunity offender. If I didn't get to you tonight, I'll try next week. You deconstruct it by removing the idea of reverence. And we're finding this all over. The deconstructionist would, would, would promote, are you ready? That the preacher would, would wear khaki shorts, a ball cap, 
and maybe and and maybe an untucked shirt or or a or a or a or a muscle shirt on the platform because his idea is to relate in quotes to people okay and so they would remove a deconstructionist would remove a pulpit because the pulpit represents eldership it represents authority so a deconstructionist would remove all the items that represent anyone that is in leadership so that everyone is common and of course there's misuse of scripture and some of the misuse is coming right from the book of Acts chapter 2 where they had all things common which really doesn't even mean eldership it actually meant, meant money they were if you look at Jerusalem there was they were somewhat oppressed and they were poor there was offerings actually sent back to Jerusalem so if all the prophetic word has already happened then the preterist is going to say well there's no need for apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But look at the word here on your page. Those offices are for the perfecting the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So I don't, I don't have a, I mean, I don't have the time to talk about subjectivism or absolutes, but I just wanted to just let you know that when when people teach you and tell you or you catch someone's uh, commentary that all prophecy is already... what Inside of that, that argument is the erasing of eldership. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to make a case for myself. Obviously, you're here and that's enough. Um, and I do know that I have a millstone mindset. That means the Bible said it'd be better for a millstone... To be hung around your neck and you cast into the sea than for you to offend one of these little ones. I take that very seriously. So I can, I'm not supposed to offend anyone. It'd be better that I would be sunk in the ocean and, um, and go through the agony of that than to offend anyone. But I also know that, that there is spiritual authority and I need it in my life and so also do you. So tonight I'm just offering a couple of these very large, maybe even macro fallacies that have afflicted us. And everybody said amen. Okay, so it's 7.20, and I'm so excited I get to, I get to draw again. I, I love drawing, and, and last night I've proven my creative ability. Last week, rather. This is so important for me to draw. It provides another display of talent Thank you for supporting me in that. Amen, Pastor. I wish one of the nine gifts of spirit was drawing. That would be great. Okay, are you ready? It's a little joke. Are you all right? Who's been fasting with me? Are you about to go into a diabetic coma right now? Get some peanut butter in the back row. Okay. The brilliance of modern technology. Where are we at? Are we, are we here? Okay. Um, <clears throat> let me see which one we want to do first. Okay. Once again, we're just kind of given an overview of, of 
of time, and, and we'll do this here. Uh, I said this was Talmud teaching. Um, this would pertain to Jewish and Gregorian calendars. So we're just going to just discuss a little bit about Jewish and Gregorian calendars. Uh, in, the, in, the, in this year, if, unless you just woke up, um, you're, we, we go by the Gregorian calendar, and it's 2018. But the Jewish calendar is um, uh, uh, 5,779. 5,779. Now, both of them can be off. Both, both the Jewish and the Gregorian calendar are probably off a little bit. We, we're, we can't say for sure. Okay? We just can't say for sure. But in this Talmud teaching, we would get this idea of, of, of a theory, it's septa. It's the, maybe we might call it septa, or sept. It means seven. So, uh, do do we have the the scripture? Second Peter three eight. The Bible says that uh, a thousand days, or a thousand years, is as a day with the Lord, or a day is as a thousand years. So this is the inception of time, which would be Adam, and this would be day one. So I'll just put. 1D, and that's the first thousand years. Okay? That would be Adam. Now, just for all of you deep thinkers, that does not mean that's Eve. Because we don't know when Eve came. We don't know how long Adam was lonely and lost his mind before he said, I'm lonely. And God said, uh, Genesis 2, 18, it's not good for man to be alone. Who knows that? Husbands, it's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> Adam. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. It is true, you know, men, women can live without men, but men cannot live without women. Okay. This is, that's a whole other subject. It looks like we're going to do marriage counseling right after prophecy is over. And, and now we got, now we got, the second day in this septi, septi, day two, this is, this is the second thousand years. So this is another thousand years. And this will begin with Noah. And it will end with Abraham. My writing is terrible, but this, this thing's not, it's really not me, it's this pen. And that's the next thousand years. And then David is underneath this, starts the last of the fourth day, which is another thousand years. And then in this mark we have, we have the first advent. If you ever see the word advent, it just means coming, the first coming of Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin. So this is Jesus. Or you could even say the Messiah. Okay? So now really begins, because 
He's only, he's only here for three and a half years. So this is going to be the fifth and sixth day. And this is going to span 2,000 years. Everybody got it so far? We're, we're working? And now, now we're in at the end of that period of time. Now we're into, I'm going to skip ahead, but, but this line right here that, that I have is going to represent something uh, pretty important. But right here, I'm going to do another thousand years, and that's going to be the millennial reign. That's the seventh day. It's a thousand years ruling and reigning. It's going to end with the great white throne judgment. But, but right in the span of time right here, there is a, there's a couple things that are going to happen. Now, last week I told you about my thought of the tribulation period. But this is the tribulation period. It's going to only be seven years long. The actual time of suffering will be three and a half of those years. So the first three and a half will be a time of what, what the world will call a time of peace. So right in this little spot right here where this line is, there's, there's, this is the time of tribulation. If the Lord comes back before the tribulation begins right here, we would call that, that, that person would believe in a pre-tribulation or pre-trib. If the Lord comes back somewhere... Anywhere in the span, we would, we, would, we would say that that person believes in mid-trib or the Lord's coming back in the middle of tribulation. Or at the end, it would be post-trib. And, and what we would deem that coming back as, that word is called the rapture, which is not found in the Bible. The word is not found in the Bible, but the concept is found and the word is actually called catching, the catching away. The catching away. Everybody with me still? So this span of time is the first 4,000 years. And this is the Old Testament. Just, I just want you to know that it also includes 400 years that's not found in the Old Testament. Because in between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament is 400 years of silence. So that's right in here somewhere. All right? You see how wonderful this looks? You could sell that on the open market. Ah, uh -huh. okay. So so if we if we're watching this now, where where, where are we? Where where are you living? And see, this is a critical thing. You're not living here. You're not living here. You're not living in any of these areas. The medieval times, you're not living here. The Ottoman Empire is gone. You're not living, you're not living here. You're, all the empires have, have, have crumbled and fallen. You're right. You are right here. And in fact, you might be living right at the end on this line. 
at the very end of time. Now, you're not at the end of all time. You're just at the end of dis- this dispensation, which leads me to your next part of your, of your page. So is that, the, is, that the, is that the one? Is that the bottom one? Okay. Just for the sake of time, I've printed this out so that we have a little bit more uh, information to go with. Now, this is another way to look at the biblical timeline that leads to prophecy. But I think this is important for us to note. Each of the dispensations, which in this particular outline, there are seven. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. There's a command given. The first command is the, is the age of innocence or the dispensation of innocence. It will end. They have a responsibility. You can eat of anything, but there's something you cannot eat of. So that's the command. Don't eat. And there's a failure. They ate. And there's a judgment. And the judgment is death. There's also curses in that, so I'll write a curse. At the end of each of these, there's a judgment. Now they're removed from the garden. Adam is removed from the garden. Eve is removed from the garden. And now we have a new age of consciousness. When they woke up, when they ate of the tree, the first thing they said was, we're naked. And they covered themselves with the leaves, fig leaves. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. An interesting side note, Jesus walks by a fig, a fig tree once and he curses the fig tree. Didn't have any fruit on it. Come to find out it wasn't even in season. Everybody for ages have tried to figure out why did he curse the fig tree. One, one Jewish man said to me that many of their Jewish fathers believed that he was remembering the moment when mankind tried to cover up his shame with that particular tree. I don't know. I thought it was interesting that he curses the fig tree. It didn't work. And so a consciousness woke up. When the conscience is your innate thought of right and wrong. Before they ate of it, they didn't need their, a conscience like that. But a conscience was either put in or woke up the moment. You see, innocence will, innocence is a, is a purity. That's why our little children, they, you know, they get out of the bathtub and they're two years old. They're running around the house. All the friends are over and they're naked as a jaybird. And we start singing. They call them the streak. And boogity boogies down the hallway and everybody's good. And, you know, they're out the door and they're all naked. Everyone's, but they're innocent, right? If you lose your conscience, you take your clothes off. The Bible says in the last days, they'll have their conscience seared like with a hot iron. We found this out. If you go on a cruise to the Caribbean and you go on a cruise to Alaska, we just took a cruise to Alaska last year. It was really neat. The difference is people put their clothes on when they go on a cruise to Alaska. That's the difference. Also, there's mountains. Um, so, and glaciers, and it's cold. Just, I just want you to know, this is, this is the concept here, because now they have to put clothes. Now, now an, a, an age of consciousness, consciousness is there. He's no longer walking with them at the cool of the day. 
All right, so, but at the end of this, this is called, this is a blood sacrifice. So there's blood sacrifice. And, but they fail and they have wickedness. And so the judgment at the end of this is the flood, right? So here's Adam and here's Noah. And it ends in judgment. And then it begins a new day. It's human government happens. And we're going to see human government grow. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to be governed um, by men. And, 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 and the command is for them to, to multiply. But they don't want to multiply. And this is where the Tower of Babel And God is going to judge them and he's going to confuse their languages. Let's just put language there. And he's going to disperse them because they didn't scatter. The, the, the demand was to multiply. And so it's going to end in judgment. So when they, at the end of this, they build a big tower. They're going to get up to God. It's incredible. They're going to build the, this big tower. And, and this is the height of, of human government. The tower, they called it the Tower of Babel. And God confused their languages and they all had to disperse because they couldn't understand what was going on. I'm racing now. Number four. Number four is the dispensation of the promise. And this is, this is you're going to dwell in the lane of, of, of Canaan. But the failure is they dwelt in Egypt. And so it ended in bondage. That's a great ringtone. And so now they're going to be in bondage. Of course, there's, there's, there's reasons why they're in bondage. I mean, this is... There's, there's multiple reasons why they're in bondage. It's not just... Um, it's not just... Um, because they didn't obey just one command. There's a whole lot of things in, entailed in that, and I'm not going to go through it all. But, but that, will, that will be about 430 years. And then they're going to come out. This is an incredible thing. They're, they're going to come out. Moses is going to lead them out. and Now they're going to have freedom. And this is the, this is the law is going to be in place. But they're going to... They're going to they're going to break the law, and then there's going to be a worldwide dispersion. This is um, so so they're. I, I will just say that they're cast out. Now we're all we're talking about the Hebrew people here, the Jews, and they're cast out. And then you've got this this silence of the Lord, this 400 years, and then you've got the coming, the first coming of Jesus Christ. And he's going to be born of a virgin. This is a virgin birth. It's an incredible moment in time. And that within this span of time is the cross of Calvary. And what happened here with, a, with the need for a blood sacrifice, right here, the Lord's going to cover this, the blood of Jesus. He becomes the perfect lamb. But he's going to come to build his church. This is where we come in. Now, can I just answer a question for everyone? 
because I know what I know when we talk about this and we're talking about it in other circles. When you get to Golgotha's Hill, you've got three crosses and you've got you've, you've got Jesus in the middle and you've got thieves and one thief curses the Lord, the other thief he sticks up for the Lord and he says, "Lord, would you remember me when when you make it? When, when you when you get into glory, will you remember me?" To which the Lord says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So I've got a whole bunch of people who say to me, well, pastor, if that's the case, then I don't really need to be baptized. And Why do I need to receive the Holy Ghost? And really, all I have to do is just stick up for the Lord or just maybe if I just believe in him. Well, the problem with that is, even though, even though the Old Testament, we see it right here, spans all this time, really the New Testament doesn't begin until the death of the testator the testator I don't know if you can even read that I'd like you to perceive it maybe if you can't read it just feel it okay so so this thief right here the, the testator Jesus has not died this man, this thief, he, he is under the same covenant as all of these patriarchs and matriarchs back here. The thief on the cross doesn't need to be baptized because the, the testator has not died. Jesus has not yet died. When he dies, he's going to birth the church. And then he's going to say there was a time when God winked at ignorance, but he commands all men everywhere to repent. Is everybody with me now? So, this is the old covenant. And this is the new. I'm sorry. This is the old one. And this is the new one. And so just as Abraham wasn't baptized, and, and, and Moses wasn't baptized in water, as, as we would prescribe, this thief on the cross is under this old covenant. But in this dispensation comes the church. It's Acts chapter 2. The church was birthed. This is the church. Revelation chapter 20. There's commands of this. To get into this church, there's commands. One of the command in, in, in John 3 is to be born again. And it's Acts 2, verse 38. It's the gospel. Can you still read this? Oh, you know, I've got an eraser on here, I think. <laughs> I could just start this entire lesson all over. It's the gospel. And the gospel, what's the gospel? The gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's do that. And how do I know that? Because that's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. It's actually 1, 3, and 4. But it's 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So some people say, well, the gospel is the good news. Okay, that's kind of like icing on the cake. But really, the, the, the gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection. This is the command. Here's the command. You want to be in the church? You've got to obey the gospel. His death, his burial, his resurrection. 
His death is repentance. His burial is baptism of water. And the resurrection is what the Lord gives you. It's the baptism of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. But those who disobey, then comes the tribulation. Or, or judgment. Another judgment comes. And so they're, they're going to be lost here. And they'll be lost in the tribulation. I think the church will be saved no matter what, but they'll be lost. And then finally comes this last portion, and I, and I don't have room to write it over, over there, but if I could put it right here, I would just say, once again, you've got the rapture, and then you've got the Lord's second coming. And they're not together, they're separated. The rapture is first, and the second coming, of course, is after that. And then after a second coming comes the final, the kingdom age. Okay, I'm, my brain hurts a little bit. Picasso has concluded. Okay. There'll be a quiz over everything. And a blank piece of paper to start. Okay, got it? Praise God. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I love you. And what a great day. Let's just stand and we'll... I thank all of you who are able to fast. If you didn't know it, we're on a seven-day fast. And we're just fasting and praying that the Lord will help us. We're fasting and praying that the Lord will give us direction for what we need to do here in this coming years and even this day there's a lot of people that need prayer and help and I don't know uh, how the Lord's going to do it all but he's going to make a way for for some of you that, that are struggling God's going to make a way there's, there's, a, there's a great thing there's a great door it's opening up people are coming so fight your friends on Sunday alright let's pray together are you ready Lord we ask you tonight for understanding and comprehension. We thank you, Lord, for the word. We pray tonight, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us into all truth, Lord. Let the Holy Ghost do the work. I pray for this church, Lord. Help us to be united and fitly framed together. We thank you for all the new people that have walking in tonight and bless their lives and help them. I thank you for our new converts and we thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for our youth and our children's ministries that we pray that you're blessing upon them in Jesus' name. And everyone said in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be kind and friendly to one another? You're dismissed in the fear of the Lord. Thank you.